0: This podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries.
1: Hi, this is Dr. Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association, and welcome to our podcast entitled, How Technology Offers Increased Opportunities and Possibilities to Learning. And I'm here today with TJ Hammond. TJ, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. T.J. Hammond is the manager for online mission training for the United States Strategic Command in Omaha, Nebraska. How's Omaha, Nebraska these days? It's
2: cold and windy, but...
1: (laughs) He is actually responsible for providing education and basic familiarization on the command's assigned missions and functions to a geographically dispersed training audience of 5,000 learners worldwide. TJ is actively engaged in research and application of adult learning principles and educational technologies. And believe it or not, he has over 10 years experience in the government sector applying research ideas to practical problems. TJ, thank you very much for joining us today.
2: Thank you. It's uh, my pleasure to be here.
1: I have a lot of questions and I'm going to start with my first question. If you could tell us about your current challenges in leading An organization to using Web 2.0, especially with 5,000 worldwide learners.
2: You know, where do you begin with a question like that? But I think e-learning right now is kind of where I think the Internet was early on, and that is that we haven't really realized the potential yet. So as the Internet took 20 years and it's still kind of going and modifying itself and morphing itself into what it can be, I think e-learning is getting there. And the key attributes I think that e-learning is looking to is empowerment and access to learning items. And I don't think we fully realize that yet. I do think that the academic community is ahead of the organizational learning community. So I think that in the organization community, where we're falling short is we leave our workers bitter, myself included, for e-learning. And we do this because many times it's a it's a PDF published online, maybe a PowerPoint presentation. And we couple that with a quiz, and we call that e-learning. So this leaves everyone with kind of a sour taste. And it's it's not a very inspiring effort let alone empowering or supportive of their daily work. But there is potential. I think with the increase in technology and the capabilities, there's a wonderful kind of potential out there for what we can do in the online learning arena at an organizational level. And I think it's my own dissatisfaction. And from coming here to the uh, Distance Learning Association, I think it's the community's kind of dissatisfaction with where we are, with what's compared with what is possible. So I think we're going to make some advancements, and uh, and that's kind of what drives me. I think at uh, STRATCOM, where we're kind of missing the boat is when I started this position in 2004, there really was no kind of use of Web2O technologies. There was an online presence, but it followed the traditional kind of CBT approach and everything was kind of modular centric. Now this, I think, is rooted with good intentions that we kind of have this very linear approach to learning, but I think it's failed to kind of engage and it's failed to meet that kind of moment in time when there's motivation and there's need on, on workers' behalf. So I think, and then the other thing that kind of was alarming to me was when I looked at the labor side of it, and we kind of typically range from 100 hours to 400 hours of labor for about one hour of instruction in online learning. And that's kind of alarming to me because if you look at some other research, it states that you know only 85% of people will actually finish an online module that started. And in our case, the, the critical learning element was actually at the end of the module. So most people were not getting what you set out for them to get, but yet you were spending a lot of money on kind of getting that item out. Finally, you know, one other point is that when you do things in a modular kind of approach, you always need an expert to start a learning item. And I think this creates a choke point and almost like a chicken and egg example of, well, we have this new topic out there, well, we need a SME, well, we need a, or a subject matter expert. Well, how do I get a subject matter expert if, I, if it's a new kind of emerging concept?
1: Excellent points TJ, thank you. How do you actually currently deliver online learning using Web 2.0 technologies?
2: Well I think first I kind of want to state that you know technology for technology's sake is useless. So as we kind of deploy and, and make use of technology I think it has to solve a need and then most appropriately align with the business problem or kind of a mission problem in our case at a, an organization like StratCom. But I think the biggest thing is to Look out in the industry, and I think this is where the government particularly can take an advantage, is let the industry figure out what works and what doesn't work. And, and then we can kind of sit back and go, what's successful and what's unsuccessful? And then this allows us to not invest money in projects or initiatives that are risky and untried. But I also think there's a balance there because we need to fundamentally kind of rethink how we do design, develop, and deliver online learning to our workers. question I get stuck on all the time is looking at what – technological innovations have happened over the course of time and how do we fundamentally change the way we do design develop and deliver training and i think first it's again it's not about the technology it's the it's the back end it's the people and it's the people in our learning departments that we need to make sure that they're trained and equipped and and in a better position to take advantage of these new technologies so what we kind of look at right now is use the technologies that are already kind of out there we use wikis we use blogs we use podcasts we use webinars We use these things called nuggets, which we've kind of adopted this term nugget to be something that is almost like a podcast, but it can involve many more kind of multimedia elements and at the core just text. But they're very short, five to seven minute chunks of information. And they're geared at kind of how do we just kind of become part of the daily flow. The other thing we kind of look at is how do we make it personal? How do we allow people to personalize learning so that they subscribe and they decide what they kind of need and we do this through similar things like iGoogle and RSS. And ultimately what our motto is, is we're trying to engage our workers with learning in their daily kind of digital lives. So how do we become part of the flow and how do we go along with them? And the, the challenges there are, one, will the audience accept it and, the, and all the different kind of generations in the workforce? And then secondly, is will leadership buy in and see value in this type of um, approach?
1: That's an interesting point in the fact does your leadership at the United States Strategic Command buy into e-learning?
2: You bet, Marilyn. And what they do is we wouldn't let them not uh, buy in. <laughs> we kind of went to them, we said, look, if, if you've got content and expertise and it's not being utilized by your workforce, then it's useless. And, and they kind of followed that back up with a more polished kind of response that went something like this where it's exquisite training products that no one's aware of that are, those are useless. And they're right so we frame the argument we let them kind of go down the path and we let them convince themselves that this is important and it is about people being able to find and search and discover learning items and we've got to get that content and expertise out there so when we look at our leadership and how we get buy-in, we do a really phenomenal job at differentiating ourselves from the academic world and online learning and we do that by saying that Ours is more about performance support. People don't come to Stratcom and the typical military member is there three years. They don't leave Stratcom with a diploma like they would from an academic institution. What we need is we need them to be workers. So I'm less interested in nurturing the individual into a better learner. I'm actually more interested in how are they become a better worker and how can they make better decisions and get better information and do and ultimately serve the United States Strategic Command better. That's kind of how we've approached it. So it is different than the academic community, but The example we always kind of look at is, if you think about an appliance, and I'll just kind of give an example here, we recently bought a refrigerator and so when they show up and they give you this refrigerator you open it up and you get a a manual, you get an 800 number, you get an online website to go to that has discussion forums and questions and answers and all these wonderful online attributes and, and capabilities to learn all about a refrigerator when at the end of the day you ultimately plug it in and that's it. And so what we look at at STRATCOM is we ask our workers to do much, much more complex tasks, and I'm not sure we give them the same amount of support that you get when you buy a refrigerator.
1: You actually mentioned earlier that past training, delivery, and development has been very labor-intensive. What tools do you now use to design, develop, deliver all these training items and components?
2: No, I'm really glad you asked that question. I think. The latest research I've seen from the eLearning Guild says that there's currently over 1,000 tools out there to design and develop and deliver online learning. It gets kind of muddied, muddied in the water a little bit, but Web 2.0 is not about the flashy, you say that specifically for Adobe Flash, but it's not about the flashy objects. It's about empowerment and it's about access. So. What we looked at was what technologies are already in place, which ones are free, and just think about the possibilities of what Twitter could do for learning or what Facebook as a learning application would look like. These are the kind of things that I think is more important. We do use like a Wikipedia platform, and I think we also use the Adobe Suite to develop and design online learning, but I think the important message is you don't need the most expensive tool suite. To develop and design online learning, just kind of use whatever's available, and definitely make use of the tools that are free if you can. I think where we get into the interesting part is actually deciding which tool is actually appropriate to meet the learning need, and it's not a it's not a one tool fits all. You can't design everything in Flash and meet every need with Flash. One, it's sometimes labor intensive, but two, it's the wrong kind of platform to do that. So we kind of have a, we have a very simple process that we do, and it's kind of walk through it real quick. It's it's four steps. So there's kind of a need. You still have to get back to the roots of the educational process and you go back to Bloom's taxonomy and you have to look at what are the cognitive domains that you're trying to solve and what's the cognitive outcome. From there, I think you look for content expertise. Now, if it resides in a document or in a person, that changes what you should use to deliver. And then the fun part is actually when you do select the tools, how you're going to meet that need. And that's where you kind of balance it with if marilyn here is kind of an expert on how to tie a bow tie well then i think what i would do is just say let's get a camera in front of marilyn let's watch her tie a bow tie we don't need her to write down the steps we just need her to perform the the procedure and then we'll videotape it we may do a little editing and then we'll kind of publish an item so we look at all the different things it can be a blog a wiki a podcast an activity based or anything of that nature and then we do balance that with time constraints so do you have days do you have weeks do you have months and in the bow tie example, if any of you have sons, they're probably going to give you about 2 hours before prom and they're going to say I need to know how to tie a bow tie right now. So the the last place they would want to go to is a module that told them about when the first bow tie was used, what's it made of, which countries do it. No, they just need the hey, I just need to know how to do it so I can move on. So that's kind of how we do that.
1: Great example. How do you actually balance delivery with all of these items? Do you worry about maybe overwhelming the audience?
2: We do. We actually had these discussions with the kind of the senior leadership and we we don't try to deliberately duplicate effort but I think the important kind of delineation is in using Web 2.0 platforms you actually are developing and designing less and you're getting more out of it. So if you use the content the right way you're delivering it through a wiki, you're also delivering it through a podcast, you're also delivering it through a module and you're kind of pulling from that source content wherever it resides But you're getting it all out there using the different ways so that people can decide on their own how they want to learn so if they want to read well then give them something to read if they want to watch an animation or they want to see still pictures we'll provide those multiple ways to get to it i think over time good analytics will tell you which ones your audience is moving towards and then you can kind of better allocate resources that way so it is dangerous that you you see the numbers grow and you kind of go well we're putting out 10 times as much content and learning items than we did last year are we oversaturating our market? Are we becoming a nuisance to the learners? You're not if you're allowing them to subscribe to the ways they want to digest the information. So it is tricky, it is also dangerous that you can compete with yourself. So you have to kind of look at where you're you're putting it. But I think an example that helped us get to where we were at in, in doing this is looking at Microsoft Word. We pulled up Word and a fun little experiment if you have it on your computer right now, just go through and look at all the different menus you can add so if you go to view toolbars and if you pull them all down about half of your screen will be toolbars and the bottom half will be where you can type words and the interesting thing is if you look at the intent of microsoft word it's an online typewriter but yet microsoft said well how do you want to use word and marilyn said she wants to use visual basic and i said i want to use pictures and graphics and they said well we'll give you tools to use all those in microsoft word they didn't say you're crazy, there's one way to use Word and that's a typewriter, so we're only going to give you a typewriter. They kind of allowed you to select your own way to use Microsoft Word, so we asked ourselves the same question. Do you really think all the workers in your organization want to learn the same way? And that's how we kind of addressed that problem.
1: When do you believe is the most appropriate time for training to occur? What is your experience?
2: This is another area where we have gone away from the mainstream and we've taken the less road traveled. We believe that the traditional approach in learning was you work maybe in this building and they remove you physically to another building and this is where the schoolhouse is so you go to school over here or you go to maybe even a leadership course in your organization but they remove you from the building they take you out to maybe a nice resort and they get together for a weekend and that's where you're going to learn about leadership and typically when you went back to work you would say well that ignore all that and forget about that this is how we do it in the work environment we believe it. Online learning can reach them at their desktop or their mobile device, and that's where you've got to provide it. I really do like metaphors and analogies, so we look at The Matrix, the movie, and if you have ever seen one, if they need to learn something new, they actually just call back to a guy named Tank in the ship, and he says, I need to know how to fly a helicopter, and they zap it into his head, and now they know how to fly a helicopter, and it it happens instantaneously, and it's wonderful. Another example is uh, Major League Baseball players. They now are watching on iPods their last at bat with the pitcher. So it's no longer in spring training where they kind of get a feel for pitchers or or even the last game. It's maybe an hour ago they faced this pitcher and 15 minutes before they're going to face him again they're looking for signs, they're looking for what pitches he threw. So it is about just-in-time training and, and that's kind of what we're looking at. So we've looked at again It's it's got to be part of the daily kind of digital life of your workers and it's got to be somewhat easy and intuitive and, and less intrusive and In the virtual world, it's no different than the physical world. If you ask them to leave their work environment online and go to a separate, whether it be an LMS or something of that nature, you've changed their mindset. So primarily you use email at work, then maybe you distribute learning items through email. And there's no kind of right answer, but that's kind of how we approach um, how to get it to them at the right time.
1: I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do have one more question. How does your approach work with current models for developing online learning such as ADDIE and ISD? Uh,
2: When we get into these discussions at work, we seem to be attacking the root of all learning departments, and and these discussions make people very nervous. First, I think there's, there's a time and a place for process. So I think there is a definite need still for the ADDIE kind of model, and there's a definite need to go through instructional system design. What we're kind of advocating is that when that process gets in the way, and kind of becomes very prescriptive and bureaucratic and inflexible, it actually will undermine your ability to get to the, to the workforce in a timely manner and allow the workforce to be somewhat curious. So ultimately what we're advocating is if the process fits, use it, but don't let the process take you down a path that you don't want to go. So if the, if the process takes you down a linear path and you're always developing modules, then you need to step away from the process for a little bit and just try something new and allow something to grow there and basically figure out where we can use those processes to help us and where those processes are kind of inhibiting our ability to develop online learning. So sometimes when you use ISD and you give a model of training into a curriculum or, or et cetera to an audience, what ends up happening is it kind of tells the learners, don't think, go through the motions, and basically management will be appeased. And the fear is that look at the signal you're sending to this bright intelligent workforce that you have and those are presumably the type of individuals you want to hire and attract to your organization but yet you're giving them very kind of watered down boring learning that is treating them like a child and not allowing them to be in control of their learning and that's really it seems kind of almost too simple but the message is how do you let people have control of their own learning and it seems just too simple that we haven't figured that out already
1: TJ, you have been so well-spoken and so enlightening on your topic. I cannot thank you enough. I'm sure there are people in the audience who would really appreciate your contact information. Would you share it with them?
2: Yes, I would. I th- you can get a hold of me. Um, phone is uh, 402-232-5137. And email is obviously through the wonderful Gmail. So it's thomas.e.hammond, H-A-M-M-O-N-D, and then jr at gmail.com.
1: T.J., thank you very much for joining us. This is Dr. Marilyn Gardner, and if you are interested in learning more about the United States Distance Learning Association, you can find us at www.usdla.org. Thank you very much, and have a great
0: day. This podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education, at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. The Fisher School of Education and Human Services is dedicated to the enhancement and continuing support of teachers, administrators, trainers, and others working in related helping professions throughout the world.